A reading from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, to display his glory. Hear what the Spirit is saying to his people. Welcome. Eleanor would be delighted to see you all here today. Eleanor was a gracious woman who enjoyed a simple life, including the company of family and friends. I admired her for many reasons, including her practicality, intelligence, love of adventure, and humbleness. She grew up during the war. She had to be frugal, but that didn't get in the way of having fun from raising chickens to hiking with her brother and exploring the world with friends. She found her way to the United States via Canada, where she met and married my father. They both loved a sense of adventure that they instilled in all of our family to some degree. We had many family vacations that made for some classic family stories, such as our our trip to Baja, Mexico, during midsummer in a VW bus with no air conditioning. Camping along the way in search of that perfect beach while trying to avoid potholes, scorpions, and sunstroke. Even as she got older and struggled with her MS, this did not stop her from wanting to go see new sites. She camped with us out at the steep ravine cabins on the coast um, and loved the outdoors. We were lucky to have her live with us. She was part of our kids' lives, reading to them and giving them a reprieve from the routine upstairs. The kids learned quickly how to manipulate the situation. Connor, who would be given a timeout in his room, was known to yell through the heating vent, um, Grandma, help, I'm stuck. <laughs> then she would go to the bathroom below and talk to him and even was known to read him a book to keep him company. The grandkids knew exactly where to go to get those extra cookies and attention. She was very practical in her approach to life, and we learned so much from her. I looked up to her for her veracity for reading. She was my resource for, for books, especially nonfiction. She'd give me reviews, and when, we, when she was done, we'd compare notes about what we'd read. I appreciated her no-nonsense approach, always honest, sometimes even when I didn't want to hear the truth. Many people have told me that they've learned a lot from her as an advice nurse for 20 years at Kaiser. She had a wealth of knowledge. Eleanor's love for painting came late in life and surprised us all with her talent. Watercoloring gave her a sense of relaxation that she benefited from in her retirement. And you'll see some of the paintings downstairs after. She was humble about her skill, and we will always admire her for what she accomplished. Eleanor was a nurse, a widow, a mother, a grandmother, 
and a friend who loved so many. She was grateful for what she had. And we are blessed that she was a big part of all of our lives. I give a special thank to the caregivers, who many are here today, and people who gave her support at the end of her life. It meant so much to me and to her. She made us laugh with her British traditions, her cravings for fish and chips, chocolate. She appreciated the simple things, including a decent cup of hot tea every morning that she would call her nectar. She passed on her sweet tooth, no surprise, as I remember being given a piece of candy for every county or state border that we passed on our road trips. We hope she is in we hope she is enjoying her ne next adventure. We will deeply miss her and will always have her in our hearts. Thank you all for being here. It means so much to us. And I'd like to um, now bring up a longtime friend, Rosemary Mucklow, with um, the help of my brother, Roger. Thank you. Thank you, Roger. Thank you for being here. Um. My only sibling, my sister Margaret, and her husband met Tom and Eleanor in Vancouver. And then they all settled down here together and had their families, and their families uh, got to know each other as children and as they grew up. They were a wonderful family, and Tom would be very proud of the motherhood and fatherhood that came from Eleanor after he left that family. I would like to leave you with the words of G.K. Chesterton. He said, beyond wonder. If seeds in the black earth can turn into beautiful roses, what may not the heart of man or woman become in its journey to the stars? And tonight, when the Barber family looks at the sky, the twinkling stars of Eleanor reunited with her beloved Tom. Maybe they'll be sitting with Margaret and Errol and laughing about all the wonderful years that they shared with their young families as they settled as immigrants in this great country. Thank you, and thank you, Roger, dear, for escorting me this morning. We have wonderful, wonderful memories. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you, dear. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I'll just like a little thing about my mom. Um, Eleanor, Eleanor was a great mom, and I, I had 
great time with the family to the 60s, 70s, going to see her family when I was a kid, my little sister and brother at the time, and, and I had a great time with her on her own when Tom died, when we went on vacation with Bridget and Kevin went up to Lake Tahoe, Michael went somewhere else, and helping her drive and take her to Reading and Calistoga and Monterey, three different trips Christmas time, so... And uh, she was the greatest person to be alive. Wonderful right. memories, yeah. Tom, yeah. Roger. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful memories. Let us say together the 23rd Psalm. <laughs> the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in the green pastures. He leaves me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. But thou art the same thing. Thy presence is a table for me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for attending today. As, as Bridget and I debated what to say, many stories of Eleanor's life came to mind. We had a lot of laughs and a few tears as we reminisced together. How do you say goodbye to your mother and condense her life in five hours, let alone five minutes? Then one night, as I was writing in my gratitude journal, I realized a few, maybe not just a few, simple words could describe many parts of my mother's life that also connect us to her. Love, friends, joy, music, Mount Tam, Madrone Canyon, hope, water, swimming, Scotland, laughter, strength, kindness, gardens, England, faith, resilience, fortitude, comfort, Canada, the Church of Our Savior. Simple words. Yet, I cannot leave her today with only a few words. I do take after my father. As Bridget mentioned earlier, there are so many stories, because until recently, Eleanor was always on the move. I wish we could share all those stories. Many are hilarious. Some are sad and some are crazy. One that Roger alluded to, the time we were camping as a family in Yosemite National Park. A bear strolled in to the camp, and my father, being the hero that he was, grabbed the children, ran across the stream, hid behind a boulder, and yelled out to Eleanor, grab the bug repellent. <laughs> she immediately picked up the bug repellent and sprayed the bear. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen a bear stand on two feet, but it was quite the scene to see this bear go, Ugh. 
Uh, Mom demonstrated using bug repellent on a bear is a really bad idea. I also learned that Mom could run real fast if she had to. But seriously, there's two stories I'd like to share. The first story was when I was about 12 years old, starting at boarding school in Victoria, British Columbia. I was given the chance to attend a school where I could enjoy the natural beauty of Vancouver Island and the Pacific Northwest, the same area that mom and dad had lived and near where they had met and married. Any wonder why I chose to go? One day early in the school year, I used one of those old things called a payphone. I only had a, so many nickels, dimes, and quarters before my time was up. I was in tears. I was talking to mom so, so far away. I was homesick. As any preteen would be, away from the comfort of their mother. So what does mom do? She packed up her old Volkswagen van, that trusty old van, threw Bridget in the passenger seat and drove north to Victoria, a drive she had done many times before and a drive she would do many times again. And how did I respond when she arrived? I thought, what are you doing here? <laughs> Clearly my homesickness did not last very long. Bridget laughed at this story. She reminded me how she, Bridget, thought at the time, I feel really sorry for you. What are we doing here? You clearly don't miss us. Mom, on the other hand, seemed to take it in stride. Although years later, she did say she was never excited about sending me off to boarding school. Fast forward 15 years or so, and I'm returning from the army in Germany when I was seriously considering leaving the army there and staying in Europe. Now I felt my mother calling me back after my father had recently died. <coughs> Following more training in Oklahoma, Mom flew out to join me for a long, twisted route back to the Bay Area, this time in my Volkswagen van, which had air conditioning. Our motto for the drive home was, if it's a dirt road, it must be a good road, which is how we crossed most of the Rocky Mountains. Only once did she tell me to turn back. Although she was unable to join me on all the side trips, like a day I was skiing in Taos or skinny dipping at night in a remote wild hot springs, something I learned from her, she enjoyed living through me. We were kindred spirits, sharing precious time together. We camped out and visited national parks just as we had done as a family in years past. We traveled through New Mexico and Utah, traveled north, hooked left on Highway 50, the loneliest highway in America, through desolate Nevada and home. But we were not lonely. We had each other for company. Unlike the journey to the Northwest, this was a journey she had not done before, nor one she would do again. Now that journey remains mine alone. One of the many adventures she had in her full 88 years of life. And thanks to her and her call home, 
I stand here today with three beautiful ladies. And I will close with, if there's a dirt road in heaven, you can be sure Eleanor has already found it. Thank you. Almost every day from April through October, Eleanor would tune in to watch her favorite baseball team, the San Francisco Giants. We shared this interest and suffered many years together as the Giants could not live up to the, our expectations, but still enjoyed watching Barry Bonds hit home runs out of the park. While Eleanor did not regularly wear orange or black or go to the games, she was always there in spirit, supporting her team. In late 2010, she went to visit her cardiologist for a regular check of her pacemaker. Her cardiologist was concerned about the rise in her heart rate through late October and asked what, she'd been, what had she been up to. <laughs> of course, the Giants won the World Series in October 2010. Eleanor was a true fan and had the heart to prove it. I think of her every time I watch a game, and her memory will live on. A reading from the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians. If I speak in tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror, dimly, but then we will see faces to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, and the greatest of these is love. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. Good morning. My name is Carl Magruder, and I'm the spiritual support counselor at Hospice by the Bay, whose privilege it was to accompany Eleanor in the latter, the latter, latter part of her dying. She had an, another chaplain early on who retired, so I was fortunate in inheriting her. When I started at Hospice by the Bay, I went on a joint visit with a nurse, Michelle Rulo, who wanted to be here today but couldn't. And Eleanor is one of her patients. So we, we rode in Michelle's car, and Michelle said, so I should tell you a few things. <laughs> 
And she, she let me know that Eleanor was particular, very smart, that she had been a nurse. That's important, so you don't, you know, explain to people using small words things that they know better than you do. And uh, that she was a very gracious lady. And sure enough, we came in, and she immediately offered me tea, and she had some sweets, and that was a very consistent thing, that she would offer hospitality to me when I would come through the door. And I really, I really delighted in that. When you work in hospice, what you see is not the whole of a person's life, though you may review it. You see the end of their life. Now, there used to be in medieval times and later into the Renaissance in Europe, there were books written called Ars Moriendi, which in Latin is the art of dying. And people would study, how do I want to go about this thing of my dying? Death is inevitable. Many of the scriptures we've heard this morning address that, that there is, there is this inevitability to the death of our mortal person. Now, Eleanor had some really strong advantages in the process of dying well. She had you all. She had this wonderful community of friends and family. She had her very strong faith. And she was, of course, very keen in her intelligence and in her mind. But she had a disadvantage. And that is that her dying was very prolonged. Very prolonged. Quite unusual, even to those of us in hospice. What you want is what we call a, a compression of morbidity. You want to be perfectly healthy and happy and well, and then just die in your sleep, right? Without this being sick. She was sick for a long time. And she bore it with a grace and a stoicism that was remarkable, even though it was incredibly hard. And so accompanying her in that long journey had its own unique challenges. And I grew and learned in the process of it so that she was a gift to me. She ministered to me. She has shaped me in the work that I do. She, in fact, had such a gradual decline that I forgot all about the idea that she was supposed to die at some point. And I was taken by surprise when it happened. And I found that my grief was unusual in the work. And so I was grateful for that awakening, that remembrance that what the rest of her family was going through, I was having a little taste of. I wanted to say a couple of things that struck me in the conversations that we had. One was that the Third Reich tried to kill Eleanor Barber twice. They shot up a school train that she was on, and then they shot up a beach resort where she was, and her parents stuffed her in a culvert to save her life. The Luftwaffe flying over. And I wonder if this penchant that she had for adventure was partly a function of having escaped death as a young person. So she went to this new country of Canada. She got a car, an old used car, with a blown head gasket, she explained to me, that she and these other young women who were nurses traveled all over the country on dirt roads, slept on the roof of the car under the stars. This wonderful sense of... Uh, if this is this gift of life that we have from God, let us live it fully. I once asked her if she had any regrets. That's a kind of standard chaplain question. And it's really great when people say no. It means they're sort of at peace with things. But she cocked her head on the side the way that she did, and she looked at me over her glasses just to see if I had become suddenly a complete nincompoop. You don't live to be 80 plus years old, without having some things where you think back, mm, maybe I could have done that differently. Perhaps she was thinking of spraying the bear with bug repellent instead of bear spray. 
I have had a process, maybe a little bit weird, in my morning of watching a BBC television series called Call the Midwife. Because Eleanor told me that that was work that she did for the National Institutes of Health in the poor end of London there after the war. And she, she thought the series was okay. Vanessa Redgrave narrates it. But she disliked the fact that it was too glamorous. It was too pretty. It wasn't gritty enough. It wasn't hard enough. It didn't show you just how difficult life was in England after the war. I had thought previously that it was pretty tough and pretty gritty. So the fact that that was her critique gave me a sense of how tough and gritty this gracious lady with her proper accent could be. The last thing I want to say is that we did a lot of, because of the time that we, we, we had Eleanor, the privilege of having her that long, we got to know her family more than we usually do. And I was, I was very touched and, and felt gifted by getting to know all of the, all of the family that lived upstairs, certainly. And I met several times with Roger and, uh, and, and he's become very dear to me. And I've learned a lot of things from his, his approach and his philosophy to life. And I met Michael just at the, at the end of Eleanor's life. And I sort of felt like now I understood a little of, of what was, of what was, of what made her so wonderful, but also what made her so strong was having that family support. And I know that you all will continue to support one another. I love the verse that we just heard. The greatest of these is love. That seems quite fitting to me. Godspeed, Eleanor. I just want to open my brief remarks today by saying what an honor it is to be with you all here, remembering the life well-lived of Eleanor Barber. She, as you may well know, was very particular, as her family has pointed out, and of all the people we have files on in preparation for the memorial service, hers was the thickest, for sure. And inside the folder, it read in big letters, not dry or boring, she said. <laughs> so, dear Eleanor, we are doing the very best we can. <laughs> One of her favorite prayers comes out of the 1928 Book of Common Prayer. It goes, O oh Lord, support us all the day long until the shadows lengthen and the evening comes and the busy world is hushed and the fever of life is over and our work is done. Then in thy mercy grant us a safe lodging and a holy rest and peace at the last. How could any of us not be taken by Eleanor's humility and her gracious artistic sensibility I was taken with it from the get-go when I first got to know her. She devoured good stories and gentle English poetry. She loved fine music and the right kind of light on a cool summer day. Through her watercolors, that skill she honed late in life, we see the world through her eyes, a world of idyllic beauty and warm scenes filled with life whether it's a marine landscape or sheep safely grazing in the Scottish highlands. 
Hers is a Psalm 23 vision of God's creation. An admission, subtle perhaps, given her character, an admission nevertheless of a profound faith. No one knew better than Eleanor that life is framed by both joy and suffering. Nothing gave Eleanor more joy than watching her children and grandchildren grow and flourish, yet she struggled for years with progressing disability, and yet she brought great strength of character to bear when her heart began to fail. But she never let go of her indomitable will to see beauty. Even in the last hours she was conscious, she sat up to receive communion, just a couple of days before she died, I went to visit her with it. And she was there, watching the birds gather at the feeders outside her window, and looking forward to an afternoon of music as a choir came to visit Nazareth House in San Rafael. Eleanor uncovered, you see, a spiritual truth that for many of us remains elusive. In the midst of decline and even suffering, there is abundant grace poured out framed in love, channeled in moments as brief as a breath and as subtle as a gaze of wonder. It was fitting that as she parted our company in this life, she was surrounded by the love of her children and her grandchildren, the time-honored prayers of the sisters of Nazareth House, the gentle song of a pair of voices accompanying the vigil, the pastoral presence of a loving chaplain and many caregivers who came to visit her, friends, both new and old. Eleanor's first thoughts were always with her family and the community that she loved. If she worried, it was for the well-being of others, not herself. If she complained, it was so as not to be a burden on others. If she asked why, it involved that honest seeking for meaning, for purpose, that a questing faith always has, that great question that often accompanies the weights and pains of this life, passing as it does so fleetingly, and then it seems it is somehow done. What is a good life well lived? Is it a life free of suffering, a life of wealth, of prosperity, or is it like Eleanor's, a life of service? Jesus says to his followers in our gospel today, do not let your hearts be troubled. Look to Eleanor, he might tell us, who saw her life as not a singular act or a one-lady show, that she was a lady is a given, but that she had many an adventure in her 88 years is a truth. But at the end, she saw herself only as part of a lush landscape of life. Her life was a brushstroke, if you will, on the great canvas of creation. Without that one stroke, the divine painting would be much diminished. And so Eleanor's was a most beautiful dash of color and life for this part of the painting, an inspiration to the life that gathered and flourished around her. 
your lives, nourished in her gentle spirit and love, undaunted by the challenges of this life, and unafraid, unafraid to be faithful. That is her legacy for us to carry on each in our own way, with that same single-minded purpose, to disclose God's loving grace for each other and all the world in loving service. And so, O Lord, support us all the day long until the shadows lengthen and the evening comes and the busy world is hushed, the fever of life is over, and our work is done. Then in thy mercy grant us a safe lodging and a holy rest and peace at the last. Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R M-V for Mill Valley, dot O-R-G. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to greet you in person very soon.